today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by looking at miracles. What are miracles, anyway? Isn't it just easier to say that miracles are things that we don't fully understand and not necessarily the hand of God entering our life? This seems not logical. And if miracles are real, then what is the point of them? How do we know that miracles are actually miraculous? How do we know that the things which are unexplained are actually miracles and not just things we can't explain? We're going to be answering all of these questions. You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com apologetics, as well as all our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to, as well as all of the resources that we're posting. But if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now, let's join Father Ian Palco for episode number 10 of our apologetic series on miracles. Well, welcome back to our apologetic series and welcoming Father Ian Palco. Hello, Father. How are you? I'm, I'm very good, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, this is the first time we've had you on any of our videos or podcasts. So for those who are not familiar with who you are, could you just give a little rundown of who Father Palco is? Who Father Palco is? Uh, well, first, a sinner. I think that's uh, one thing we all are, so important to recognize that. Um, so I'm a priest of the Society of St. Pius X, which is why you're having me on the podcast, among other reasons. Um, I was ordained in 2017 in Dillon, Virginia. That's actually where I'm, I am right now when we're recording this. Um, but they immediately sent me to New Zealand uh, after my ordination. So I've taught there at our priory in uh, St. Dominic's College uh, in New Zealand, Australia. College is just a high school. Um, okay. It's in the North Island of New Zealand. Um, for about five and a half years, I've been there now, teaching various things like scripture, apologetics, Catholic morality and doctrine. And then this last year, I taught chemistry. Um, and during that time, I was dean of the college, which means I'm the disciplinarian. And then this last year, principal of the college. And while that's all well and good, I would love to say that I'm sticking around, but I'm actually headed back to the U.S. district by probably about the time this podcast will air. So. If you see okay. me wandering around, I haven't run away from this yet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so you said you taught chemistry. Do you have a background in, in the sciences, Father? Yeah, in fact. Um, so I went to Georgetown University studying business, and then I switched over to an engineering degree uh, at the University of Kansas, and I have a chemical engineering degree from there. Once I went to New Zealand, in order to teach, we have to have a registration, meaning I need a teacher certification. So I have a graduate diploma in secondary education from Bethlehem Tertiary Institute down there. So a little bit of a background there, plus blowing things up for boys in high school chemistry classes. I guess that's that's all I can really claim for experimental sciences. Fantastic. Well, uh, that, that makes sense then why with your background, we have you on to talk about miracles which is our topic today. And side note, Father, I will not hold it against you that you went to University of Kansas. Um, I went to Kansas State. Jayhawks, Wildcats are not usually friends, but I will put that aside today because I'm so kind and benevolent. Well, thank you very much for that. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Very good. Well, Father, let's talk about miracles then. Um, to me, uh, it doesn't, well, to, to a skeptic, I should say, to a skeptic, which is kind of the, the position I'm going to take uh, during this interview with you, Father, oh, no. uh, to be fair. Um, why is it that someone who is obviously so intelligent in the sciences 
uh, could believe in something so crazy as miracles. Uh, it does not mean that God's violating the laws of physics or the laws of nature. Well, I, and I think that's that's oftentimes what people think about when they, they see the concept of miracles, they hear about a miracle. Oh, this is just a, a violation of the laws of nature. God is coming and suspending the laws of nature, biology, physics, chemistry. Those aren't working anymore. It's just God. And yes, he has power over those things, but that's actually a very false notion of what the Catholic Church understands as miracles. Uh, that's a more rationalistic and, well, as you say, it's skeptical way of looking at things. Something along the lines of David Hume or Immanuel Kant from the modern rationalists and modernists. Um, but in fact, the Catholic view is very much pro-science. Um, for myself, as a little side note here, that's actually one of those things that was very attractive to me about the faith. I've always been a Catholic, but one of the things that sort of helps me to maintain my faith is the very fact that all of our faith actually agrees with the sciences. It's all one truth, and God is God, so there's no conflict there. Um, and already we can kind of see if, if that's true, this idea of miracles as violations of nature sort of is a mistaken approach. It's really, and hopefully we'll expose this as we go along, it's really actually God working, we could say, above nature or beyond nature, not against nature. Or it's the case where God is working within nature, but changing the course of nature, not violating the laws of nature. Interesting. Okay. So these are some distinctions we're going to dive into here in a little bit. So um, Hopefully, yeah. that, that, that's kind of our, that's kind of our opening statement about, you know, science, science and miracles, but so let's get into definitions. We always start each of our podcasts when we're introducing a new topic with definitions, just like, uh, as you're a teacher, you, you know how that goes. So what are miracles father? Do you want the Latin definition or do you want, <laughs> please no. I, I oftentimes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I oftentimes make students memorize that just to practice the Latin, but we won't do that here. Um, we We'll take the definition that's based off of what St. Thomas Aquinas has said um, about miracles. He writes about this mostly in the Summa Contra Gentiles, which is not the Summa Theologica. Uh, Summa Theologica is about more of like the, you could say the theology exposed, whereas the Summa Contra Gentiles is about those basic things. Uh, they cross over in a lot of things, but in the Summa Contra Gentiles, he gives the idea of a miracle as an effect which we can see. It's perceptible to the senses. And the cause of that is beyond all created causes, so beyond nature. And that's sort of a very basic definition of a miracle, an effect perceptible to the senses whose cause is beyond all nature, beyond all created causes. Okay. We can see that already from what the, what the word itself comes from, miracle. It's from the Latin admiratio, admiration, wonder, or the verb that comes from that mirror, mirare, to wonder, to admire. It's sort of the same kind of thing when we, we joke about things um, or when we see something funny. Uh, something is funny It's a, it, because we don't connect a cause and an effect. It, you know, we see somebody trip, they fall over, and as a result of it, it's not normal that people just randomly fall over when they're walking along. We may laugh a little bit because we don't see the connection. In a certain sense, like in a miracle here, we are seeing a cause, but the effect, or sorry, we are seeing an effect, but the cause is somewhat hidden. And instead of laughing, we, we wonder at it because it's not just somebody falling to the ground. It's actually like 
more along the lines of that stage magic where uh, you hit the top of the top, top hat with a wand, it was empty, now there's a rabbit there. We know that tapping a hat with a stick doesn't spontaneously generate full-grown rabbits. Um, and so there is a degree of wonder in those things. When we see that with regard to like a healing or other things, we don't see a connection, and that's why we wonder. Thus, we call that a miracle. We have an admiration for it. It's an effect that seems to exceed what we have in front of us, these created causes. So it is a, a miracle is something that, that goes beyond these created causes. And I think that's, that's an important distinction that you're making there. It's, it's, it goes beyond the, uh, beyond nature, not contrary to it, not against it. Right. So uh, we can look at this idea. So beyond and against are two different words for two different reasons. I think sometimes we mix those ideas up on a lot of different realms. Um, something can be beyond, or Latin would say above, super, a, a super nature, above nature, without being against it. I think we could take an example here of something like uh, issue of justice. Um, uh, you, you, perhaps I, I wanted to buy a chalice, let's say on eBay. I don't have the money, I'm a poor priest, so um, I ask you and say, Andrew, would you would you lend me a thousand dollars? I know we we just recently met, but you know you can trust me. Lend me a thousand dollars, and I buy this chalice, and I owe you a thousand dollars in the future at some point in time. If I don't pay you back, or if I give you five hundred dollars back, I violate justice. I'm sinning back by violating justice. Whereas if I start uh, betting on the lottery or other things, probably shouldn't do, but. Let's say I did that, I get a windfall, I'm really happy that you loaned me that $1,000. So in order to show you that gratitude, I not only give you the $1,000, I need to give you $1,500 as a small gift. I'm complied with justice, I'm within justice, but in fact I've gone beyond justice. No one would say that I violated justice by giving you more than what you wrote. Um, in the same way, we could say a miracle can go beyond nature, but without violating it. We can change the course of nature by stepping outside in a certain sense of it rather than going against it. We're not violating the laws of nature. Here, the effect uh, we see, in the it, it, but the cause itself is, a, is beyond, not against nature. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. That makes sense. Is it sort of like um, I'm thinking about the the properties of of our Lord's risen body after the resurrection? Uh, and you're going to have to correct me. If I'm probably going to remember this incorrectly. Wasn't it uh, agility, agility, or or not impassibility? Anyway, but but he was yeah. able to all of a sudden just show up in the cenacle. Um, yes, he had a he had a body. He has a mm -hmm. body, but he was able to just show up in the cenacle. Uh, he that's not normal. That's not following the natural uh, course of nature for him to just be able to show up in in a room. Um, but he was going beyond it. He didn't violate the rules of nature. Is is that sort of what was happening? You, you could say that. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of different properties. One, in order for him to get into the, the cycle, remember, he, he walks through a door and he, he goes through something. Um, I don't know about you. I've never been able to walk through doors before. It usually right. hurts every time I try. <laughs> um, so, uh, compenetration—that's the, the technical term for, or the theological term for passing through 
that's not normal. Um, you, whenever we try to do that, it doesn't work very well. Um, so to have a property which seems to exceed nature by which this could happen, um, that's that's exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, it's it's a kind of miracle, something that nature itself can't produce. But there's no there's nothing in nature that makes it completely impossible if you understand what nature is, how it works. It's just not something that without some uncreated cause would happen. Um, we could say here in this in this case that in a miracle, God's not violating a change in the nature. He's causing an effect in accord with nature without the normal process of nature being required to do this. Uh, so the changing the course of nature. Um, I, I, I usually carry a pen around me for this demonstration when I've done it, but I, I have um, I have my phone with me. I'm sitting on the okay. here. If I hold a, my phone up here and, and it's not falling to the ground, I'm not violating the law of gravity. So I'm acting in accord with gravity. I'm a, in, in physical terms, I'm introducing a normal force, and that's counteracting right. the force of gravity. But you see my hand here. Um, my hand gives that force. If it were just floating in the air, and now you see my hand here, but if it were just floating in the air, the force would still be produced. Um, but in fact, that's being produced by something other than my hand. The phone might seem to float, but in fact, it floats because there's a force counteracting gravity. If I can do that myself, and I'm a created being, I had to receive that power from somewhere. Ultimately, it's from God. So if I can do that, certainly God can cause that force through some other cause that is unseen. That's just an okay. example of where we can see God, in fact, acting within the normal course of nature, but or within the normal laws of nature, but not in the normal course. Bones don't just float around. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Um, can we talk next about those who cause miracles? Um, there are plenty of stories in Scripture and in the lives of the saints, and it seems like um, there were saints who were able to work miracles. Were they acting outside of the or beyond the laws of, of nature themselves? Uh, well, we could also look at, you know, uh, I'm sure many people have seen sort of the uh, the evangelical Protestant, you know, services where they whip people up into frenzies and apparently perform miracles too. Um, so we, we can look at all of these together, though, of course, that's a different category aside. Those are not true miracles. Um, but whenever we hear of miracle workers like this, we tend to think that a miracle is some effect produced by them or by a saint or maybe some angel. We have in the book of Tobias, you have the archangel there who's who's producing some effect and seems miraculous. And that's a very Protestant concept, and you see that especially in the evangelical Protestants, but it's a very Protestant concept. It's not the Catholic idea. Um, any effect that surpasses all created power, remember that was the definition that we gave before of what a miracle was, if it surpasses all created power, it has to be from an uncreated power. And the only one that we know of there is God, the only one possible is God. So a miracle must have God for its cause. And that's why, in fact, miracles are important to what we could say that is the motives of credibility. In apologetics, that's one of the things we're trying to show is that there's a good reason to believe this. We can prove certain truths by evidence, but when we're getting into miracles, we're trying to show a supernatural truth 
to be true and believable because we can't prove it absolutely to be true. There's no, um, it's a very, it's a high likelihood and so miracles are useful for that because it shows the impact of God working to confirm this or that or the other truth. They show God's acting and confirming a message or the holiness of some person or the work that they're doing. Um, we could also say, I, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it, we can have miracle workers, um, but they're not really doing the miracle. Um, no creature can affect something beyond nature. Every creature, even angels, exist within nature. And the angelic nature, yeah, that's different than ours, but it's still within the universe, and God stands outside of the universe. So if we see a miracle that's above nature, outside of created causes, God has to be the cause. Strictly speaking, even a creature, um, our Lord takes mud to heal blindness or his spit. Um, even our Lord himself or a saint, they can't even be an instrument in proper sense by which a miracle is caused. It's still God causing it. We could call them, and we use a philosophical term, uh, hopefully that doesn't go blow minds, but we call it an occasional cause. It's the occasion for the miracle to happen, but God is performing the miracle. God is, is giving that power because only God exists outside of nature and beyond nature to do that. So loosely speaking, we could consider our Lord or the apostles, saints, or those things that our Lord used, the spit of mud, the ointment that was given to Tobias, those things as instruments, but those aren't actually causing the effect. They're just occasions for God to cause the effect. And God similar uses to, those things. You Go ahead. I was just going to say, similar to praying to a patron saint and asking for their intercession uh, and then you receive mm -hmm. the grace. It is it's God giving the grace through the intercession of Saint Michael the Archangel or whatever. Oh, certainly, yeah. And that's uh, we could already talk in apologetic terms. That's that's a a different concept than what most people think with prayer. So it's God always who gives grace because grace is it is something that is given to a soul. Last I checked, uh, saints don't you know put grace together and then put it into a soul. They ask God right. for that, and God gives that. Through their intercession, just like if you asked me, hey, you know, things are going bad, could you pray for me? Sure, I will. I'll offer Mass for you. And in doing that, certain graces will flow, hopefully, if I'm, if I'm doing my job right. Um, and I think that shows, too, like these, these created things, whether it's prayer or whether it's the instruments, we could say, which are the occasions for miracles, God uses them because... He wants to work normally through secondary causes to show that the world he created is good, even if it does get warped by sin. Um, and it shows really that God is trying to confirm this thing here, rather than just a very generic way of looking at things. It relates to that thing, oh, story of Tobias, it related to his efforts to, uh, to do the will of God. And so the miracle that happens there comes about through that. If it were just given by a prayer, the story doesn't show and doesn't teach us much. Well, that's fascinating. Um, can we look then, Father, at types of miracles? Um, uh, what is the best way to divide them? Uh, is it really cool, super cool, and kind of normal miracles, or how do you how do we uh, how do we kind of break down miracles? 
uh, you could do by days of the week, but I think that's probably not the most effective way of looking at them. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas actually tries to break them down into three categories. He uses big Latin terms. Um, we won't use those here, just not again to melt, melt brains. Um, we could have a miracle where we could say the first category, he gives three. Um, the effect of this miracle is completely beyond any creative thoughts. And that's a miracle in a strict sense, right? Nature could never produce this effect. And so it's not violating nature because it wouldn't produce this effect to begin with. Um, the kind of example here, we could think of the glorified body that our, our Lord had. Um, we could think of the glorified bodies we will have. We could think of Christ, what we said before, walking through the wall or door into the Senate. Um, in fact, the Eucharist itself is an example of this. Transubstantiation, that's, that's not the miracle part of it, as much as we might think it is. Um, hmm. You transubstantiate a, a sandwich into yourself through digestion, um, so you can change substances. Yes, it doesn't usually happen when you say certain words. That's a bit miraculous. But in fact, remember, if, if from, from your catechism, the, the host, the bread, becomes the body of Christ. It still appears to be bread. The accidents, the appearances remain, but the bread's gone. The appearances alone remain, and the substance of our Lord is there. And as we remember from perhaps uh, our, our catechism as well, every host, every part is, is the whole Christ. And that's not something that nature can do. Usually right. I have a hand and my hand is here and that hand could be cut off. It could be, it's not this hand, it's not my head. Um, so for that to happen, that's miraculous and something nature can't do. Um, so that's the first category, I guess you can say. So things, things are completely beyond nature. Nature can't do those things. But again, it's not against nature. You could have a second category, and in the second and third categories, now nature can do these things, but usually not in this person or thing, or not in this way. So those are the two categories. Nature could cause this effect that we're seeing, but not in this person or thing. Um, this isn't beyond nature itself, but it's clearly showing God working. Here, we could say, is the resurrection of a dead body, Lazarus, for example. Nature can give life. We, we have it. Um, in other podcasts, I see you have a ring on and you know you, you have a family. So nature obviously participated and you participated with God in creating these new lives. Uh, nature gives life to a child in its conception. But nature doesn't give life to dead bodies. So it can give life, but not to dead people. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the restoration of the sense. We have our Lord curing many people, saints who you know, work, work miracles in that way too. Nature gives, as the child is developing the womb, sight, the power of sight, but it doesn't restore the optic nerve once it's been severed and cut. It doesn't do that to adults. So nature can do this, but not in that person, not in that thing. A third category we'd say is nature can cause this effect in this person or in this thing, but not normally in this way. A uh, good example here would be an instantaneous or very quick heal. Nature can heal. If I, if I get a wound, uh, a cut, I can put a, a bandage on it, and over a bit of time, it heals up. Nature can heal, but not instantaneously or quickly. 
Um, another example there would be infused knowledge. We can learn pretty much everything if we put our mind to it, but normally that process takes a long time. As a teacher, I know it takes a lot of effort with <laughs> some of the students in particular. Um, but you use your senses, you use your reasoning, you don't just know. And so, so that's, those are the three that St. Thomas is. We could also talk another way about something called an absolute miracle or a relative miracle. That's another okay. division. So this is where um, a, an effect is beyond the power even of pure spirits or even of created spirits, I'm sorry, where that's a, a, a absolute miracle. A relative miracle is where an angel, let's say, or a devil could affect these things. So one where only God could produce this effect or one where God could allow um, a created spirit, angel or a devil to produce that effect. And then we could divide those up too. We have the angels, like a Tobias, who's doing the will of God. And so from an apologetic standpoint, these are just miracles. We see God as the cause. He's allowing them. When we see other apparent miracles that are diabolical in origin, um, we call these differently. We call them prodigies. And they are done, if, if they happen, only with God's permissive will. And they're usually done... In, in order for us to sort of be tested, they're not going to have the signature of the divine will on them. They're going to be pointless, they're vain. Example of this, remember back to the uh, time of Moses with Pharaoh, and his staff turns into a serpent, and so does the, um, the magicians that are there. And it's it's... Clearly, the, these effects seem the same, but there is something vain or, or pointless to the fact of them conjuring up serpents. And we see that in the fact that God works the miracle of not only this happening to Moses' staff, but this also then, his, his staff, now serpent, consuming the others. So there's always going to be something there if there is a prodigy, a diabolical miracle, as you could say, where if a man of goodwill looks at it, He's going to see something off. And the phrase, the devil always shows his tail. There's something that's mm -hmm. going to be wrong there. And the devil likes to ape God, but he can't do that without God's permission. So when we see something like that, it's going to be a test. And there are good tests that we could go through later about how we determine that. Um, but those are another uh, distinction between different kinds of miracles. So, so this, these sort of miracles, the, the, the staff being thrown down and turning into a snake, for instance, that was happening because the fallen angel has the power to be able to do that. And God allowed that to happen. God did not himself uh, make, for lack of a better word, make that miracle happen. He just allowed it to happen. So that was within the realm of the power of the fallen angel to do. Well, but it, yes, that's true. The, the God has given that power to angels. Um, okay. And so he allows it for the fallen angel to do that. But we see where God has, in this case, has clearly indicated that this was his permissive will that he was allowing this to happen. And he shows that this was not a true miracle on the part of the magicians by having the staff or Moses's staff consume the others, uh, a more powerful than Again, we're, we're also dealing at this point in time with sort of a more uh, a different understanding in the early um, in the early um, in the uh, church, but in the early history of of salvation history, 
uh, sort of a not clear understanding, most people, of how God works, except amongst people like Moses and, and those who are the more learned among um, This is why, in, which is an entirely different topic, and, and, but this is why in the Old Testament, you, you tend to see the, the Jews oftentimes sort of look at God as more of a one of many gods. They don't have this clear notion to begin with, and it becomes more clear over time to the point where now, in the fullness of Revelation, we understand that God is above all others and He's a Trinity, etc. Sure, that makes sense. Let's talk about the the purpose of miracles. Miracles are very nice; um, they help our faith. Um, uh-huh. You know, I have I have a book that that my kids read also. It's you know Eucharistic miracles, and that that's uh-huh. helpful because wow, this is real and. You know, it helps kind of our doubting human nature to, to understand that there are real things, um, there are, that God is real, sorry. Um, is that the reason why God does miracles? Well, there, there could be a lot of different purposes. I guess you could call them uh, more immediate purposes. But ultimately, the purpose of any miracle, purpose of God acting, is ultimately his own glory. Um, God, the only thing worthy of God is God himself begins to explain the parts of theology too and the Trinity, etc. with that. But whenever God is acting, even when he uh, creates, it's in order to, at least in the highest degree, bring about his glory. And so miracles don't have a purpose or a final cause in nature. They can have sort of, you could say, an immediate effect in nature, and sometimes a very good one, but they're always going to have a supernatural purpose. Even if a miraculous healing helps somebody in this life, its true purpose isn't just to give somebody a few more years of um, an easier earthly life. It's to glorify God, perhaps to recognize the holiness of the saint. We use these kinds of miracles oftentimes in the case of confirming that this person is in heaven, this person is of heroic virtue, this whole canonization, beatification process. So that purpose is always about God's glory, or some supernatural purpose. And that, in fact, if we go back to those um, relative miracles, the diabolical miracles or prodigies, that helps us distinguish. If this is done in order to just wow people, if it's just a great little magic trick, um, as you remember, that's what Herod wanted from our Lord. And right? he, he, he's taken to him and says, just do a little magic trick. And, um, and our Lord isn't going to do that because that's not what miracles are for. It's not just to wow people, it's to glorify God. And that wasn't going to happen, Herod, he did that. So we can see there the purpose has to be supernatural. Now, it could be testifying to God's goodness or his anger at certain evils that are going on. It could be to recommend certain virtues. It could be to manifest the holiness of the saint um, or somebody invoked. It could be, as it is in the case of our Lord and many of the saints, to authenticate a message from God or to authenticate the messenger himself. And I think that also, if we if we think about it, that will help us understand the value of miracles and apologetics. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, and it's in that Summa Contentillas, says that in order to confirm those truths that exceed our natural knowledge, God gives sort of visible manifestations to the works that surpass the ability of all nature to do. And that's the case where there's the wonderful cures of illnesses, the raising of the dead, 
but he actually goes a little further and says, what's more wonderful is the inspiration given to human minds. So mm. even simple and unlearned people can be filled with the gifts of the Holy Ghost and possess instantaneously the highest wisdom and eloquence. You see this, for instance, in the Acts of the Apostles. What happens, these are, these are not erudite men, and they're going out and they're speaking miraculously of the wonders of God in all different kinds of languages. Everyone's hearing different things. That miracle right there was one of the first, one of the first things that drew a lot of people into the church. Um, the very fact of seeing this, this amazing knowledge, this, this beautiful highest wisdom, and this eloquence from vision. Wow, that's beautiful. It's um, it, yeah. I, I you start to think of of all of the saints throughout history who have not been learned people, and who have uh -huh. just said some of the more profound things in human history. Well, I never thought of it before as that is a miracle in a sense. Yeah. Well, even when I mean, it, and it's a kind of prophecy, which is a different kind of miracle. Um, but even that power of prophecy is something that is it's a power of our Lord. It's hard to teach. Um. Yeah, the priest finds this a lot of times. We we have we're not necessarily the most erudite or learned people, and yet, you know, you you're composing that sermon. You you come up with something. You write it down. You give that sermon to somebody. Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It makes so much mm -hmm. sense. I'm like, I, oh, good. I I didn't know that. I couldn't have known that. I yeah. But there you are. Right. So. Yeah, it's it, it must be kind of a, a staggering thing for you when that happens. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't Father Palco. It yeah, was exactly. Yeah. 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 That's that's what telling me. Listen, if you find a lot of mistakes in there, that was me. I, 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 I that's <laughs> that's that's my problem here. If it if it helped you, that's probably not me. That's it. Right. <laughs> I'm channeling something and I probably don't even know what it is that I'm channeling at that point in time. It that you you get the sense, but that that, that it's a kind of miracle. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's miraculous. I guess it's wonderful. It's, um, there's an admiratio go back to that Latin term when you get to participate. In it. Sure. I, I know as, as a priest, it's a miracle to be able to forgive a man his sin. That's not something right. I could do. It's power of orders, but to be able to participate in a kind of creation, there was no grace there. And by the words that our Lord gave me to give to this soul, and say, uh, ego te absolvo, I, I absolve you. Grace is created in that soul. I can't do that. I'm, I'm just, a, just a man. It's God who's doing that, but he's deigned to use this fallible and broken human instrument. It, it's, right. it's, a, it's a staggering reality. It's lovely. Yeah. If we see something that seems unexplainable, uh, to our human minds, uh, how can we determine, Father, whether or not something is a miracle or it's just something that's just that we don't understand? Well, I, we can look at it. Um, we can look at miracles in two aspects. Um, there is an what we call the historical truth of a miracle and the philosophical truth of a miracle, which has nothing to do with philosophy. But um, okay, the historical truth is basically just that an effect occurred. A man was cured. This thing happened. It doesn't have. It doesn't say whether it was miraculous or not. It just says we see an effect. And if we want to determine whether an effect has happened, we use the same method that we would use for any historical. Fact. We look at an historical account. We 
take eyewitness testimony. Maybe there's a scientific study that's done to see if this effect is happening. But that's just the, so somebody reports, hey, this man was cured. Well, we can see he was sick and he is no longer sick. And that establishes that he was cured. Whether he was cured by the effect of God working through a miracle, that's the philosophical truth. So we see the effect that's proven, that's easy to prove. It's the same way we do any anything with history. And then the philosophical truth, was this effect caused by God and not by some natural or diabolical agent? And the way we do that is unlike with history, we exclude natural and diabolical causes. We do this by using reason and science. So that's another, coming back to the original point that we had early along, this is why we can say that the study of miracles and faith, the faith itself has is not against reason and science here. Mer a medical miracle apparently happens. And so what do we do? We go to doctors and say, what's this case look like? Is, is this person, is there an explanation for this person's healing? And when they say, we can't explain this, well, maybe we look at more doctors. We can't explain that. They, they should have been dead and, and they're not. And how did that happen? Well, we don't know. If all the experts agree that there is no explanation for it in nature, we are right to conclude that there probably is no natural cause here. And it's a supernatural cause. Okay. What about the, what about the objection? Um, well, you know, all the people who are around when these miracles happen, especially in the scripture, I mean, you're talking about just a bunch of uh, people who have no education, and we just can't really trust their eyewitness reports. Uh, it didn't really happen. Well, I mean, that's we could we could say in certain cases that actually might be possible. Um, if you look at you know news stories, how many times oh you know that that person has been you know arrested for murder. He was such a nice guy, um, or that person you know is falsely accused of something, and somebody really is convinced that they have seen this thing, and they. they they create something in their own mind. And so it's, it's possible in a single case that a account, an, an eyewitness account might be wrong. But if we reject them altogether, we say every eyewitness account is unreliable, every historical account is unreliable. Well, I'm not going to have a legal system for very long. Court cases, history itself relies on eyewitness testimony of what's happened, relies on expert testimony of what's happened. And so we do have to give some value to an eyewitness. We actually have to give the same value whether they're testifying about an apparently miraculous effect as to whether they're testifying about robbery. An eyewitness could be wrong about certain things, maybe emotion or inattention, but they're going to provide reliable testimony when they have a normal use of their sentences. So a blind person probably can't testify to what they've seen, um, but certainly in, unless they've been cured of their blindness, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the miracle. But if a person has a normal use of their senses, they're going to be able to say what they heard, what they saw, what they smelled, what they tasted. Um, and they have to have sufficient attention. They have to be paying attention. Um, and usually a fairly extraordinary event like a miracle is going to provoke a lot of attention. They don't have to be experts because they're not testifying to, in fact, the effect being from God. They're just witnessing that the effect happened. And again, if somebody was sick and dying and now they're not, 
it doesn't take an expert to determine that. An expert might be needed to rule out natural causes, but to determine the historical truth, that doesn't require an expert. And my witness is, in fact, very trustworthy, very trustworthy historically, too. And that testimony and the value of it doesn't decrease with time, right? Caesar went and fought uh, various wars. He writes about his experiences there, and we have that writing. It was as valuable in the year um, 50 BC, if he read read them, he dies in 44, so that should be pretty great. So 50 BC, if he writes then, um, it's as valuable then as it is today. The truth of that doesn't go away in the intervening time. So example in the Gospels, we have an eyewitness account that our Lord did this thing. Well, we should be able to then trust that as long as there was normal use of senses and sufficient attention. Um, and in fact, sometimes that testimony is also not just going to, histor- uh, going to um, establish an historical truth, but it also will help us to establish the philosophical truth that this miracle actually excludes natural causes. Um, it's going to, in certain cases where there's an, maybe an amb- ambiguous effect there, maybe it won't do that. But we don't have to have a perfect knowledge of the natural powers to know certain natural laws and certain things that nature just can't do. You can't, for instance, um, I've tried and it doesn't work. You can't silence storms by just a verbal command. Go away. And it doesn't happen. Um, I haven't tried this one, but I haven't tried spitting into the dirt and putting it on a blind man's eyes and having him come away cured. But our Lord did. Um, So uh, I, you know, no matter how much I work out, I'm not going to be able to lift a ton. So if I could at some point in time and from a distance, by pushing my hand out there and moving that mountain, clearly something else is going on. Um, we can't give life to a corpse. Okay. Yes, these days we do have some, you know, some paddles and we can shock the heart back into the right rhythm, but a rotting corpse, four days in, in the tomb, stinking. Oh, Lord, he stinketh. Right now. Right. But, but, yeah. I, we we can't restore that. I mean, we we can't do a Frankenstein kind of thing. Um, if I have something heavy and I throw it into a, a river, it's going to sink. And if it doesn't, well, there's something else going on. There's some force there. So we don't have to have a perfect knowledge of everything to exclude certain natural causes. So even an eyewitness testimony from a thousand, two thousand years ago can be reliable and can exclude certain things, especially when the effect is beyond all created nature, as in the case of most gospel miracles. We see those things, we know there must be some force beyond nature acting. And it would be enough to show that that effect couldn't be done with the technology available at the time. Like I said, these days we have a great medical technology, we can shock the heart back into rhythm, but they didn't have that 2,000 years ago. So if somebody did that, even if we could do it now, we can go back into those categories of miracles. It's not something that could be done in this person in this way at that time. And eyewitness testimony is sufficient to establish that kind of thing when we don't have that technology available. All right. So that, that helps with understanding that we can trust eyewitness accounts about miracles. Um, but let's say that eyewitness accounts are still totally valid, um, but the people back then who witnessed some of these miracles, well, they just didn't have an understanding of 
of science or of natural causes or physics. And our Lord maybe was just very intelligent and made some things happen. And it was all still within the realm of nature, but people back then were just very gullible and thought it was a miracle when it really wasn't. Well, extracting from our Lord himself, it certainly could be true that in some cases, our advancement in science allows us to explain what seemed very fantastic through natural causes. Imagine if you transported, were this possible, um, somebody from the 17th century to now, and you gave them a mobile phone, they would be absolutely think it's some kind of diabolical trick. How is it you can move your finger around on a piece of glass and, and you get information? Um, it's entirely true that perhaps that would, to them, look like a miracle. Um, just because that, in certain cases, advancement in science shows that wondrous effect was actually a natural thing, it doesn't follow that we can reject all miracles, or no miracle can be known with certainty. Maybe there were some cases of falsely considered miracles. I, I think, especially when we're doing apologetics, I think it's it's worthwhile to admit that there may be some things. We don't pretend that there aren't certain bad apples. But right. even if there was a false miracle at a time, that only calls that miracle that into one. doubt. It, it's We can't generalize it. It's um, it's a logical fallacy, right? So you know, um, you know, I, I met a Catholic man, and he was a bad guy. So all Catholic men must be bad men. Right? We would see the error in that, but somehow rationalists don't tend to do that with miracles. Oh, I found I found one case where where that guy just you know, you know, shocked him by some kind of hypnosis, and nay, he thought he was healed, but he wasn't. Um, okay, maybe that could happen. But it doesn't mean that no miracles could happen. It's it's a it's a illogical jump for that. Um, it it also doesn't follow that every single miracle then claimed was not sufficiently investigated for modern science. Just if there were the possibility that there was one that did. Example here. Um, go back to the miracles of our Lord. We have many historical sources that attack Christianity during its infancy. We have various Jewish uh, attacks through the Talmud and various other things. We we have various pagans who spoke against Christianity. Very few of them reject Christ's miracles actually happen. So the historical truth of those things is very well established. And when they mention them, they admit this historical fact. They call the philosophical truth into question. But they do this by attacking these miracles, saying, oh yes, Christ had some special knowledge of medicine that nobody else had, or all manner of other somewhat unreasonable explanations. The thing is, is if Christ had a special knowledge, then that is a kind of miracle. If, right. I'm, if I'm given a knowledge beyond what I could get from studying books and things like that, some knowledge that nobody else has, that's a miracle. It's not a miracle in the order of, in that first category, where nature couldn't do this because I can learn all kinds of truths. But it would be miraculous for me to learn something completely beyond any technology, any development, any science at the time. And let's face it, Christian miracle workers tend not to be science or candidates for expert scientific knowledge. Um, we have various good Catholic scientists, but I don't know any of them who go out on their time away from the lab or something like that, working miracles along the way home. Um, and if miracles are frauds, um, the miracle men 
having expert knowledge centuries before others knew it. Again, we're just substituting a miraculous knowledge for a miraculous physical event. Right. It's still a miracle. Um, and even so, you mentioned the Eucharistic Miracles book. We have actually many good medical, technological, and scientific inventions, and these have been used to investigate these miraculous events, the Eucharistic Miracles, the images like the Shroud of Turin, and they don't provide a natural explanation for these things either. They, they show that there's something entirely different, sometimes exactly what we'd expect if there were a miracle. Uh, example here, the Shroud of Turin. While uh, people who are skeptics of it or those who don't accept this authenticity will say, oh, it must have been created in the Middle Ages. Nobody can reproduce it, even with modern technology. So again, if, if we're going to say, okay, fine, it, it's, it's a fraud to claim it was from that time, well, somebody that had some miraculously miraculous knowledge of how to produce this thing well before we even could do it in, in modern times, that we can't even do it now. Right. And so, again, it, we have to we have to remember that miraculous knowledge is still a miracle, um, even if the physical effect can now be explained. We do have the the fact of the knowledge itself, and that gets into something we'll, we'll hopefully talk about later called a moral miracle, where it doesn't. It's it's a it's unlikely that this thing would happen um, in these circumstances, but that's perhaps for a different time. Yeah, it's interesting when you when you brought up the you know the technology thing. It, it reminded me of that quote from Arthur C. Clarke. He said, "Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from ma from magic." Mm -hmm. It's you know, it, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is no. not you know th that that's a cute saying and that's true in in some sense, um, but if you still can't explain a Eucharistic miracle that happened in the 1400s or the Shroud of Turin that happened, quote unquote, happened in the Middle Ages, th that's not sufficiently advanced technology. That's a miracle. Right. And and I think, I mean, again, given the fact that we have, we understand, you know, quantum physics um, and we still right. can't explain these things, I don't think you could say, well, just, just give it some time. Just give it some time when we'll explain all of these things away. If you understand how quarks work and you still can't explain how, you know, bread can become an actual like human cardiac tissue with AV blood on it, uh, I, I think it's, I, I think we're a little bit beyond the fact of, uh, of actually being able to explain it through, through science at that point. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit, uh, a couple different times, but can we dive a little bit deeper into um, diabolical causes? You said that when we look at a miracle, you need to kind of do a process of elimination or exclude diabolical causes. Uh, how does mm -hmm. that work, Father? Yeah, so and we first exclude natural causes, and that's one thing. And then we look at the diabolical causes. Um, devils, it's important to remember, can't do anything without God's permission. Um, because and, he, and God will not let honest men be deceived for a long time. So... Something will always give the devil away if we examine those things. There's something wrong. I think before we even look at the the ways that we could perhaps draw this out, we have to look at the context. In a Catholic society where a, there is good order, think of the Christendom of the Middle Ages, we're not going to see as many diabolical effects because the devils don't have as much power when a society is in good order. But in pagan mm. lands, in, in a pagan time like we have today, we could see more of that. God will, 
God will allow that to happen more often because people are more willing to be deceived. Okay, so that aside, we could also look at certain aspects of what this miracle or parent miracle has done to see if there are diabolical causes. If a work is very trivial, there's, there's reports, for instance, of shaman who would, in order to wow people, cut themselves, their stomach open and disembowel themselves and put it all back together and then heal the wound very quickly. Um, okay, but why? Right? right? What was this trying to show? What, what nobility does this have? So if, it's, if a work is trivial, that's a, that's a dead giveaway that this is a diabolical or even natural cause. Um, what about the, the human accomplice in this work? Um, think of what's his character like? If he's dishonest, if he's proud, if he's selfish, if he's an unbalanced character, well, I think that doesn't sort of lend credence to the, this apparent miracle being an actual miracle. Here, you can think of the, the, you know, the, the mega churches that perform all of these miracles and collect all of this money. Um, it, it seems a bit unbalanced, and especially from a more traditional Catholic standpoint. Um, and especially when you look at you know, this miracle worker having private jets and all of this money and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I don't think that's the poverty that our Lord was trying to encourage us. Um, the prosperity gospel in that with regard to uh, maybe maybe shows this human accomplished, his character isn't, isn't so good. And maybe there's actually a diabolical cause. There actually is a seeming miracle. Um, what's, what's the purpose of this? So the triviality, yes, the human accomplice, but if the doctrine that's being uh, endorsed is absurd or evil, contradicts a previous doctrine or contradicts certain revelation, it's a dead giveaway as well that it's from a diabolical cause. If the goal is just to fuel curiosity, if it's to destroy morals, to nourish pride or disobedience, and this is the case in, in certain apparent Catholic apparitions that you see sometimes, um, to cause disobedience. A little aside here, what happens when you know the the local bishop says, "Okay, I don't want you to do this to a, a parent seer." Our Lord and Our Lady in those cases oftentimes say, "Yes, obey for now," um, rather than no, do go against the bishop, go against what your your superiors are telling. You. Um, so again, when we see those kinds of encouragement of pride or disobedience, dead giveaway, it's the devil. And um, in fact, they, they almost always say, take this to the bishop or go see the bishop. Yeah. They, they tell the St. Bernadette's uh, Juan Diego, go to the bishop. Go to the bishop. And and when it goes badly, just you know, run with it for now and, and obey for now. And every time that's happened, you see that the, um, the, the, the sentiment eventually turns and it's proven that this is, this is actually from God. Mm -hmm. Um, Circumstances. That's the other thing too. Uh, if if the circumstances of an apparent miracle or or even apparition are obscene, shameful, cruel, that's that's a dead giveaway of the devil. God doesn't act like that. Um, maybe there was actually a, a prophecy that this would happen from a messenger, and we were warned in advance. That's that's also a bit of a dead. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Um, is there a connection between? the miracle and and some some purpose uh, basically what is what is the relevance of the miracle uh you have in your notes here the the this is the so what yeah so that's what we call the relevant truth so that's we we, we established those two truths right we had the 
the historical truth, the philosophical truth, an effect happened, that effect is from God. And now the so what? Right. Why did God do this more immediately? We we know again, ultimately it's to glorify him. But it's the simple question that can be asked. So what? Um, and usually it's a very simple question. A miracle worker is going to appeal to this miracle as proof of his divine mission or of the truth of something. So the only real complication ends up being in this, um, would God ever allow an evil person or even a non-Catholic to work a miracle? And we could say in this, yes, there might be a circumstance in which one of those four purposes that I mentioned before, right? The, 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 the saint that's invoked um, or the holiness of that person, the glorification of God, um, the uh, recommendation of a virtue, those kinds of things could still be done even with somebody who is maybe not a good Catholic or maybe a non-Catholic, an evil person doing these kinds of things. But we know God works sometimes through evil people. The gift of prophecy, which is a kind of miracle, was given to, to Caiaphas. <laughs> he says mm. he prophecies. Um, it didn't help him much, let's put it that way. This grace that he was given wasn't for him, it was for others. So there could be this complication here. But we have to ask that so what question. Um, maybe it's to authenticate Catholicism, right? Our, our Lord says um, to people, they've gone out and prophesied in the name. Haven't we done this? And, uh, we've worked many miracles in the name. And he says yet to them, depart from me, you that work iniquity. So it was not because these people were holy. It was in fact to show our Lord's mission. Um, so the so what in this case is why did we do these things? They're asking that question in the Gospel of Matthew, and he says it's to, to uh, confirm his mission, not their holiness. Um, it could manifest the holiness of somebody, in the case of somebody who's not a good person, not that miracle worker, but perhaps they invoke a particular saint, um, and that saint works works a miracle. God works a miracle through the invocation of that saint, right? Um, we have St. Paul saying that. If I should have prophecy to know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I should have faith so I could move mountains, but I don't have charity, I'm nothing. Uh, he could move mountains, and yet he could also not have charity. So there can be that situation which may be even a Protestant missionary. There are certain accounts of Protestant missionaries in Africa wanting to glorify the name of Christ, and so they apparently work a miracle. But they don't end up being the first herald of a message, the founder of a religion, for instance. You don't, you don't have a, a Joseph Smith going out working miracles. In fact, in that case, it was a miracle that he wasn't working miracles, according to me, uh, for, for Mormonism. Which is it's, a, it's an interesting argument. I, I'm, not sure yeah. I, I'm not sure I follow that. Um, but that relevance, the relevant truth is the key. Why has this happened? So what? The so what question ends up being the distinction between the seeming magic show of, uh, of a prodigy and leading souls to God. It's enough to have that historical and philosophical truth to prove there was a true miracle, but that relevant truth is necessary in order for it to be of any apologetic value. Um, and I think that's one of those things in, in, a, in another episode, we're going to look at a couple of miracles or, or maybe apply these ideas and that's where the relevant truth becomes very important. Wow, that's fascinating. Last thing wanted to bring up uh, on this episode, at least, Father, 
is uh, you mentioned moral miracles. We've been talking a lot about physical miracles um, and sure. and miracles that can or cannot be explained by nature, et cetera. Uh, what about moral miracles? Can you can we dive a little bit deeper into that as we close? Sure. Um, and I think that'll set us up very well to look at certainly the apologetic value of certain things like uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine are going to say, um, and hopefully we'll bring that up next time. But a moral miracle is not just a physical effect that we see but it's an action or series of actions that we are able to see with our senses, but is so difficult to exist or occur in the way that it has, that we we don't have any human power that can be explained. Example here would be Christ's eminent holiness. A man isn't just that holy by the very fact of his own working. He's not that virtuous. Um, uh, the example that uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine use for the truth of Christianity is how rapidly it spread. Um, despite the fact that it was recommending a uh, kind of stoicism, avoid these these illicit pleasures, and yet people were flocking to it. It doesn't seem that most men would do that. Um, we have the endurance of the martyrs, great accounts there. And it's not just one, but it was a consistent thing. Um these kind of moral miracles are more difficult to describe and observe. There's no physical law that seems to prevent those things. They're not outside physical laws or the course of nature, but they're in a certain sense outside the, the laws of human behavior experience. Um, and these could be a perfection of an action, like in the holiness of Christ, or this universality of breadth of an effect um, out of proportion to the cause. Twelve guys going out and converting millions of souls. Um, as happened with the apostles. That doesn't normally happen. That's a bit outside of the laws of human behavior experience. Here, I guess you could say we need a large sample size. This way. The endurance of the martyrs isn't one person. It's thousands of people from many different backgrounds and cultures. It's, in the case of the spread of Christianity, it's many different cultures throughout the world that are sometimes very conflicting and yet all embrace this idea. So that's the idea of a moral miracle, and perhaps that's as St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine say, that's actually one of the more good the one of the better arguments for the truth of Christianity in in the spread and in the early church. So perhaps that's a maybe a little uh, a little teaser to what we'll, we'll talk about yeah. next time. No, it's good because in the next episodes we're going to be talking about, you know, the divinity of our Lord, the resurrection, the church itself. And then I think in about four or five episodes, we'll have you come back and we'll talk more about New Testament miracles uh, as as a proof of the church. So this sets us up for the next few episodes with a few of our other priests, and then we'll have you back on uh, to talk about miracles again. Okay. But uh, Father, this has been this has been fascinating. I've, I've learned um, I've learned so much. Um, one one side note, it, it just hit me right now. Uh, so magic shows like not just card tricks sleight of hand i mean that those are that's really cool and i love watching those that's neat uh but like actual mat actual magic you're saying that that's possible but it's a prodigy not a miracle so like if there was a magician who was making things truly disappear that is actually possible that's not just some sleight of hand uh, i don't know most, maybe i'm getting into some weird stuff here but <laughs> yeah possibly and and uh but i think we could say that is it possible that God would allow that kind of effect and through a diabolical agent or even natural causes? Yeah, I, I think it's possible. <laughs> but again, whenever we go back to those kinds of things where we see that there's always a tell, there's always something wrong. Um, yeah. 
when when I see these kinds of things, one of the examples that I use is if you go back to the movie The Passion of the Christ, you have you have the devil, and it, it's this almost beautiful in a sort of weird kind of way figure, uh, mysterious and hauntingly beautiful. But there's always something wrong that the baby yep. that's the little old man or or the bug that's coming out of the nose. Or, it, it looks so good, and then there's something wrong. So right. is it possible in a magic show that a magician given over to the service of the devil could channel some diabolical power? It's, it's certainly possible. I think in most cases, we're just dealing with really, really good sleight, sleight of hand right. and things like that. Um, but is it possible? possible? I think it probably is. Yeah. yeah. Father, this has been fascinating, and it has been great to meet you, and I look forward to having you back again soon. My pleasure. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.